you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kison Patel. Welcome. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Matt. I'm super excited about our conversation today. So before we jump into it, though, would you mind telling the audience a little bit about who you are and your background and how you ended up where you are right now? Sure. Kisan Patel, CEO and founder of M&A Science. I spent 10 years as an M&A advisor, pretty typical founder story, walked away with a good understanding of the pain points in the industry, noticed over in the software world, there was some really cool project management tool these software engineers would use to live um, efficient lives and be very productive and thought, why not stuff like this for mergers and acquisitions? Started a company in 2012 deal room as a means to bring project management um, type of tools to our industry. And it, it struggled, to be honest. I think we went through about five years of a lot of pain and struggling. A lot of it was just going through learning curves of how to build software and Go to market, uh, go to market, product market fit, and these things, learning it the hard way. And then uh, I think around five or so years into it, I met a friend in marketing that convinced me to start a podcast, which probably the best marketing advice I had. That ended up evolving into a full-blown media company within our tech startup, um, which is why we have our, our brand M&A Science and our main product is Deal Room. And today we operate that product and we have um, another offshoot tech product called Firm Room. And we start an online school for M&A called M&A Science Academy. Um, two years ago, we published a book called Agile M&A, which is a management framework for managing mergers and acquisitions based on agile principles. We're fortunate enough to do case studies with Google and Alassian in working on that project. Uh, so a few different business lines, but all things mergers and acquisitions. Awesome. That sounds super interesting. Super interesting. So what, what size of mergers and acquisitions? Like, does it range anything from very small companies up to very, very big ones or any particular range that you focus on? The, the type of deals we support completely range across the board, but we mainly focus on working with corporations that are billion plus market cap and also private equity backed roll-ups. Those tend to be our two main segments of focus across a variety of different industries. Interesting. And yeah, I mean, nowadays there's so many companies doing roll-ups and lots and lots of money in, in that side of the world. So that sounds super interesting. Excellent. So building a big tool like Deal Room, and you said it yourself, uh, building a SaaS tool is an interesting learning journey just like building any other company. But uh, the, the, the good thing for me is usually building the tool is 10% of it and then marketing is the rest. So That's so way. true. That is so true. Yeah. Uh, the, the more you get into that post-product development phase, the more you realize <laughs> more and more, and as you grow and scale, that it's all about the, the sales and marketing, uh, your distribution model. 
it's uh, I've met so many companies that have spent years going through exactly what you've gone through, and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm building this tool, and they expect the day the tool is finished, the job is half done, right? And unfortunately, very unfortunately, that is not the case. So it's usually only uh, time to get started. So yeah, totally understand. That's yeah. So from a management standpoint, like going around all this, building out a tool, and I mean. Lots of listeners have, have been looking at the SaaS world and some, some of the listeners are in the in the world of SaaS already. What's sort of been your management approach to, to trying to get a tool built and so on? Hmm. That's, a, that's an area that along with all these other learnings, I also had to learn. I remember when I got to a point and I was like the project manager on the team and we had a team of about five folks. I realized I was starting to struggle with leadership and management approach. And that um, led me to reading books ultimately. Um, And I I think the couple of key things I ended up with was here we're inspired by these agile project management tools. And we started learning the practice of of agile and starting to get familiar with what that model looks like. Some of the associated techniques like doing standups, retrospectives. At the end of the day, it's, it's about creating a change-oriented culture that collaborates openly. There's some transparency there. Um, when I think about creating that ideal workplace, it's striving for a communication environment where everybody feels their voice is heard, they're comfortable communicating their ideas and pointing out when things aren't going right or there's issues, and then being able to acknowledge achievements so that it's just really clear when people hit their goals, they accomplish something that we all take the time to acknowledge it. And then to also create an environment where you feel you work amongst friends that um, spend a little time doing some of the social activities, get to know each other. I remember one time I did this, this with a team of engineers. Um, it was like, tell your life story in, in less than five minutes. And we one by one did it as like a little stage informally. And it was crazy on all these personal stories and how I learned about it. But just that one little thing just made everybody feel so close to each other. So I, um, I, I think those were the, the three key areas. And then the one underpinning element, all of this, probably one of my favorite books, if I ever get opportunity to, to coach or, or try to help uh, influence is I steer them to a book called Just Listen, which was written by Mark Goldston. It's about empathy at the end of the day. And when you understand how you, you can better connect with people by really sensing out how they feel and why they feel that way. You end up building much better relationships across the board. Um, I think that was the other key thing. Like if you can do that, you can't be this top down leader demanding this and that. And you, it'll change your whole approach with people. Cause you're, you realize when you're talking at somebody versus with somebody, when you ask somebody what to do or tell somebody what to do, asking them what to do or inviting them to come problem solve and have them open up and share their ideas and you both as peers are working together to come to a solution, which now you've gotten much better commitment and buy-in when you take that that kind of approach. Those yeah. are just some thoughts off top. <laughs> totally, totally. And I, I love the team meeting or the, the sort of meeting thing you, you're talking about, right? I think fundamentally for me it's it's one of the first questions i ask managers when 
when we talk about team meetings and one of the first questions I love asking is how, what percentage of time do you talk in a team meeting? And the answer is usually 80 to 90. They, they often say 60 to 70%, but the answer, if I get them to record it, is often 80 to 90. And it becomes this, exactly as you said, talking to instead of talking with approach where it's like, oh, I have to give some important updates and basically stuff that could just as well be put into an email and shared with people, right? But they, they forget the, the most important piece, which is actually communicating with people and, and having real conversations with the staff. So love that one. Love that yeah, one. Just listen. It's a great book. I mean, I, I read it quite a while ago, I think. But, uh, but yeah, it was a great book. And I, I think particularly for people, I mean, some people are naturally inclined to listen a little bit more, but there is a lot of, uh, you probably call them very strong leaders or very determined, uh, assertive leaders out there. And I think a lot of them can can hugely benefit from reading the book uh, because it's, it it really it forces you to stub up a little bit. And um, I mean, here in the podcast, we always talk about relationships and the importance of building strong relationship with your team and so on. And and it is one of those things that it just it just makes such a difference, right? Like you can power through people, you can do certain things with people, but um re- reality is that to get the best output you need to have people that you have great relationships with right it's the hardest skill to develop but probably one of the most powerful yeah and that's fundamentally most business owners think their role is to make lots of decisions and do lots of cool things and reality is that as a business owner as a manager in any team your responsibility is to build your team, to grow your team, communicate with your team and build relationships with your team. It's not about you, right? And a lot of people have a difficult time with that. There's an element of influence when it comes to leadership. Like ultimately you got to influence, empower. It's a form of influence. That's a big component of your success, but it all starts with listening. Definitely. The more you understand, the better you'll be able to influence. In fact, the fact that you took the time to listen to that person, they're more inclined and receptive for what you have to say. Yep. So that that's it just drives it. You have to start with empathy to begin with to lend to this ability to influence. Definitely. And uh, I mean, reality is particularly in the SaaS space and then in these very tech spaces, a lot of the time the founders are very detail-oriented, very technical, and their focus is always on the technical expertise and building the tool and so on. And it, it can be very different, difficult for people to, to focus on people and to focus on the other humans on their team and so on. And any sort of lessons that you learned or anything that you found beside obviously listening and, and building relationship, anything else you found that was valuable in your journey? I think, well, one, taking that, but applying it everywhere. I call it being dumb, by the way, because what, what happens is you tend to, the struggle isn't you versus the person, you know, in terms of the framing. It's your, you versus yourself. Like we have agendas. We have all these racing thoughts that come to mind. We have this innate nature to want to present ourselves in a very intelligent way. So we're thinking about what's the next smart thing we could say. All those things that you're combating when ultimately you need to get to zero. You need to get to this dumb state where you can assume what you know is wrong or you know nothing and really objectively listen and understand the other person's 
goals and initiatives, align yourself to be able to help them achieve their goals and initiatives. And that's what ultimately progresses you. Our approach in working with any organization is to understand what their initiatives are and their problems. And that's it. Align ourselves. How can we help come help solve those problems? Um, And that just goes everywhere, right? It goes with your team. It goes with the customer. It goes with your vendors, your family, and that is mindset approach. So there, there's that part. I think it's extending it, but really internalizing it. So it becomes part of you. And then a lot of the other things tend to fall in place. Yep. I totally agree. Totally agree. And it's, it's like when you manage people, when you give them responsibility and ownership, right? Like a lot of time you don't necessarily know the exact outcome or you don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but when you empower people and give them the ownership and so on, they, they make things happen. And I think it's, it's often important to have a very strong vision of what you're trying to create, but be much, much more lenient on how it's going to get there. Right. Because everyone thinks that the way they think about the world is the right way. But I think a lot of the time there's, there's so many ways to get to the same point and having your team executed their way is often one of the biggest joys for me to see how people get around doing things. So when you think about empathy, it lends right into the learning pattern you have. Um, you know, now we're, we're touching on, here's like the three core principles values that I, I, I live by discipline, learning pattern, and empathy. And with the learning pattern, that's your ability to learn, right? You you come out of things with your ideas and you push your agenda, but you also need to have this active learning pattern. So we have this whole matrix of knowledge. We have the don't know what you don't know, know what you don't know, the know what you know. Part of this learning pattern is being active of taking information of don't know what you don't know and moving it to know what you don't know. That way you can understand where you need to have more understanding and be able to use that information to make better decisions, problem solve. Yeah. That's a critical thing. And that that's where it comes with like vulnerability things, having your team challenge you. Hey, I want you to help me. I want you to be comfortable identifying where I may be making mistakes. I'm not looking at the full picture and speaking up around that. So when we look at that person that's got that drive and they want to push their own ideas and you got to be welcoming, you got to take that challenge so you can evolve your learning pattern to have the team members around you comfortable to help you learn, help you identify the don't know what you don't know and and move it to something that you know you don't know about. Then you can be more proactive on how you learn it. Then you can define your specific pattern on learning, whether it's through looking at Google and finding what kind of posts to reading books around it, to finding subject matter experts, to have conversations and interview. Yeah, totally. And I, one of the things I really love is I, by nature, I I have an easy time to get comfortable and I, I spend a lot of time and energy when I get into that stage and figuring out what's the next thing, because I think as human beings, like constant development, or at, at least, you know, you can have some breaks in between, but when you feel you mastered something, you need to pick something else to learn, or you need to pick something else to improve or, or work on, right? So that you're that you're on a regular basis of learning new things, because I think as a, as a leader, you have to do so. 
right? You have to show your team, you have to show the people around you that you are developing just as you're expecting them to do. That takes us right into discipline, right? This is all the, the driver is having this mindset from the time you wake up you know, do you roll around bed thinking about when you should get up or do you snap up? It's time to play the game and go, go after it. And it's the ability to get comfortable doing these things you're otherwise uncomfortable with. Um, 20 seconds is usually the time it takes me from I wake up and open my eyes till I'm standing up. They, they say that you just sort of get in that framing of I can do anything for 20 seconds and you push yourself in that direction and you'll 20 seconds into it, you'll be doing it. You're already adapted and and off yep. so absolutely interesting so so generally with discipline like how how do you i mean you see it as a core value so both from yourself like how how do you see that play out and how how do you work on improving your discipline generally it's getting comfortable doing the things you're otherwise uncomfortable it's think of it as like an internal muscle that you need to get stronger so you can flex and be able to make yourself push yourself do these things you're otherwise uncomfortable doing get out of body and do it and we, we i mean I, I remember being younger i was extremely shy i had social anxiety not to like an extreme form but a form of it anytime i end up in a social event i'd always find myself as a wallflower and then not able to really join groups or introduce myself have conversations wasn't i kind of had to wait for somebody to approach me type of thing and um that i I pushed myself it's one of those things where you said hey i'm going to develop this determination and drive because i my brother asked me this remember five years ago he sat me down and actually asked me of all the people i know you're the one person that made a full 180 how'd you do it and i said well i knew where i wanted to go i knew i wanted to progress into this leadership role and these are things I'm going to have to develop and once I made up that my mind on it then that all I, the discipline comes around it that hey I'm going to force myself to do this I remember having this strategy that I thought I was going to go to like the tech events and figure that they're all going to be nerdy and it's not going to be as uh, as hard I was wrong <laughs> I was like they're not that shy uh, and uh, you know I just put me walked up to people I put my hand out and said hi and I realized like that's that's all it comes down to. If you can break the ice, everything else is downhill. I just got good at that. Next thing you know, I'm comfortable working the room. So I, I, I would even say when 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 you meet, uh, I mean, I'm I'm at a lot of events generally where where there's a lot of very tech people, or very shy people, exactly like you describe. And the the challenge is that if everyone's standing at the at the side of the room and looking at each other, but no one takes the first step. Then, uh, then that just makes it even harder, right? So and once you do that and you get over it and realize like this, it's, you can get comfortable doing it. Once you do it enough, now I can walk right into an elevator. Whatever first thing I notice, I can make a comment about, that's a nice red jacket. You got your morning cup of coffee for the day. You're ready to go. Any little thing and pick up the conversation quickly. There is some fun things around that too. I took some, I took theater classes uh, some act, different acting classes, stand-up comedy, storytelling. Those things help a lot. If you can make it your goal and say, okay, what other resources are there that are going to help me get there? Now you can identify in these other areas and, and overcome those um, 
the, the what you look at as challenges, but ultimately progress, push yourself to keep iterating, evolving, getting better and better. Totally. And, and I started out exactly the same. Like when I was 18, I wouldn't say I was afraid of human beings, but uh, I was definitely not a social butterfly. Uh, I what, what I always say is I've learned to become a lot less uncomfortable walking up to people and introducing myself. I'm still not like naturally comfortable with it, but just a lot less uncomfortable doing it. Right. Like I still sometimes need to give myself a kick and, and, uh, <laughs> you know, part, part of this is getting comfortable with yourself, but, uh, <laughs> it, it, exactly, exactly. But I, I think, I mean, I, I literally started out, uh, I, I had about a month and a half where I literally just sat down next to people in a bus going to and from the job I had at the time and just sit down next to a stranger and just say, hi, and do nothing else, just say hi. And literally just progress it like that. And then, you know, after a month of doing that, then say, hi, how are you? And literally taking very, very slow step. But exactly the same as you, I wanted to get into management at a very early age. And the one thing I saw all the time is management is about networking. It's about relationships. It's about all this stuff. And I was like, if I want to do this, I have to develop myself. I have to push it. And I tell business owners the same thing today. If you want to be a business owner, you need to learn to communicate effectively with people around you and you need to build networks. You need to, you need to enable yourself to, to build new relationships. Right. Do you um, have any like morning routine affirmations or anything to, to help remind yourself what are specific areas that you're pushing yourself to improve on? Generally not. No, I have never, so one of the things that I've been, I guess, lucky with, I've always had a, an enormous amount of confidence, which I have no idea where it actually comes from, but I've, I've never felt unconfident about things or inconfident or whatever the word is. Um, but I've always uh, been very confident as a person. But again, it's, it's just about learning the skills. And, and like you said, you went through theater and so on. I, I went through public speaking. And I, I, for me, that was such a game changer because even, even simple things like posture, simple things like using your body language and all that kind of stuff. When you, when you learn to do public speaking, you learn to use those things and it makes you such, such a better communicator when you're able to do that. And I, I probably spent about three, four years learning how to smile because by nature, uh, I can't put a smile on my face without thinking about it. Uh, I still can't. I still think about it. But again, it's less uncomfortable now than it used to be, right? But I literally used to practice. Like I would walk down a busy street in the middle of a day and I would just put a smile on and look at random people. And it was, it was, yeah, it, it was really, really difficult to do it. Uh, and it sounds silly to most people, I'm sure, but it really took me a long, long time just to learn to smile at strangers. So. You know, you, you reminded me of a conversation I had the other day with my daughter. She's like 11 years old now, and this is related to discipline. And the point I was trying to make with her was around desire. And I, I, I told her to imagine you're at the track race because she likes to run. And so you got to race against nine other people or one of 10. Imagine there's there's two people there. Let's take it inside of one person's head and they're just like, uh, these people look pretty good. I'm going to try my best. I don't know if I'm going to win the race, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And you go on the other person 
and they're just under no circumstance am I going to let anybody beat me. I'm going to win this race by all means. I'm going to win this race. Who do you think is more likely to win the race? Right? And she's like, oh, the other person, the second one. I said, why? Well, ultimately, they, they want it more. And the point I was trying to make to her, because they have this higher level of desire, you tend to have this level of effort that parallels that higher level of desire. And if you put more effort into something, you tend to get the result. Not always, but most of the time, you get the results that parallel with putting that additional level of effort into it. Um, I think that's a part of discipline is like, can you get in this mindset to really desire that thing that now it's, it's driving you both physically and mentally to saying, Hey, this, we're going to do this. I'm driven. We have this desire and now we're, we're really motivated to take these steps, these activities, push ourselves, get it active on developing that learning pattern to learn everything comprehensive on what we need to do to achieve this. And then, being able to connect with the people along the way to influence them to help us. Yeah, uh, very interesting. And, and I like the way you think about it. I think uh, a lot of time I, I spend a lot of time with people and personalities and so on. And th- there's no doubt in my mind that when you look at high achievers, they are generally much more competitive, right? However, that said is you can learn various disciplines. You can learn things that put you in a better spot if you're not naturally super competitive and you can learn not just disciplines but it's really about understanding your own motivations right so a lot of time when when you have people that are super competitive they're naturally driven by winning right Mm -hmm. they set themselves a goal and they just go for it now the, the challenge is that for some personalities that doesn't work because the goal in itself isn't motivating and for some people that sounds crazy because they are motivated by goals but for others, it sounds like, yeah, that's, I mean, like, like a simple, all entrepreneurs think all the employees are sitting around wanting a pay rise every five minutes, right? And reality is that money just isn't that important to a lot of people. Now, I'm not saying they don't want a pay rise. I'm saying it's not going to make a significant difference if they do get one, right? And so I, I tell my daughter, because my, my parents didn't give me this sort of early, what's your purpose in life guidance. But I did to her. I said, your purpose in life is to find what you love to do and be the best in the world at it. But the discretion was to her to find what you love to do. And that's where I feel or view that if you identify with that, and even talking back to some undergrad kids, it's think about less of the careers, but more about the problems you want to solve and drive your passion around the problems you want to solve that that should garnish a level of interest where you want to get to a mastery level in that practice, right? If you really love it and you have this drive to get to a mastery level, I think maybe that's a different way of framing it that. um, Yeah. I I think, I think again, it's, it's about when, when you understand people's motivation. So some, some people are motivated by knowledge. Like some people just like being recognized as the smartest at in people some do have different drivers i agree right and yeah. and if that is the case which could be the case with your daughter it's much more about like they often win they don't compete against other people they compete against themselves so right. again if, if they're playing or competing with someone who have been competing for 10 years and they started yesterday they don't mind losing right but their game is against themselves so they're often the people who 
you know, they're optimizing all the small stuff. They're buying a little bit better shoes. They're buying, you know, they're improving what they're putting in their body, what they eat. And so, so those kind of people often focus on lots of little things and end up getting a lot of benefit out of all these. So we, we got, we got this mindset of continuous improvement. Is that, I, I think that's a behavior you can develop because I wasn't actually that way. Like that's something that grew through a pattern and then it becomes this exercise routine. It's this yeah. mindset routine that you can shape into. It, it, it depends a little bit on your personality. A lot of people can develop it. Yes. And a lot of people, some people have it by nature, but a lot of people can develop it. So the, the whole question is that, so actually a lot of competitive people are very impatient which means they want the result right now. And yeah. even though it's always about improving step by step, they're often too impatient to look at the small steps and they just, they their drive and their determination just pushes them like crazy, right? Whereas, uh, again, that's not the majority of people, but um, that there is definitely people who, who I mean, they, they might go out and hire the best coach and they, they, just want to know what to do whereas you have others that really thrive from learning it all themselves they want the knowledge they want to understand everything about the food they intake they want to understand everything about the running shoe you know how it's designed and like they, they want all the information and that's what drives them so the whole thing is when you understand yourself and what drives you you can understand how you most effectively get to the right results right that's a good way to look at it. Know thyself, then know thy goals and figure out everything between. Definitely. I mean, I, for me, that's probably one of the, I, I spent a lot of time learning a framework called DISC, which for me was definitely a significant um, improvement. I, I learned that when I was about 21 and that it just changed my life because again, it was about this piece of knowing myself better and both knowing and understanding my strength, but also my weaknesses. And then the not natural motivation for people is to always focus on what they're bad at. Whereas, and that's also by far my natural inclination. So learning to actually focus on the things that you're naturally good at and spending your energy in those areas instead is, is so powerful. Right? I totally so, agree. That's um, the right way to look at it. Definitely. Awesome, awesome. So um, you've mentioned a few resources already. Any other great resources you can recommend to our audience or any other things that you have really feel have changed your life or helped you significantly? You know, we talked about sort of just getting in a habit of some of these things. One of the things I do is put a calendar invite to myself in the morning and it's got not like an affirmation, but it reminds me of the areas I'm working on. Whether it's, I learned a new, hey, one of the things I always struggled with, I mumbled, and part, mostly because I didn't pronounce the end of words. I put a little reminder to really remind myself to pay attention and pronounce those end of the words, the consonants, the T's. Uh, so that the little things like that, doing a little breathing exercise, stuff like that, take care of yourself. I think that was just one little thing in terms of, um, trying to get these ideas but turn them into practices because they feel like especially in this digital world everybody's got some ideas and things for you but can you take that and cherry pick what are the ones that you feel strongly about that apply well to you that you want to 
make part of your practice and and give yourself that daily reminder to do that. Uh, yeah, some of the books I love all the stuff from Charlie Munger. Um, what's a good? I'm reading Forty Laws of Power with my daughter, and that's kind of a trip to to read that book with her. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you read that one. I haven't read that one yet. That's a while ago, but uh, it's definitely a good one as well. Yeah, that's um, yeah. I, I, you know, and I guess it all depends on your appetite. A lot of the sales reps I've been interviewing, they've all read "Never Split the Difference," which I, I think is a good one too. It'll take a lot of the, the components from uh, the things related to empathy, uh, but it, it extends it to a lot of these more of the negotiation situations that you're in in a lot of times you're in when you don't even know you're in that's another good book fantastic yep if people are eager to get hold of you what is the best way to do so sure uh, i guess there's two paths there's our website mascience.com if anybody's interested in learning about MA, we got tons and tons of free resources there but you can always contact me through the company site otherwise i'm on linkedin just Kison, K-I-S-O-N, Patel. Awesome. Well, Kison, thank you very much for joining me today. It was awesome having you on. That's it was a fun conversation. My pleasure. Excellent. And to the audience, we'll be back again next week. Thank you very much for listening all the way to the end. Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.